This episode was produced in partnership with American Express. We are our own experiments. Work out what works for you. It's very individualized, yet Mm. we have this incredible culture of one size fits all for everyone. Sometimes when it's quiet, surprising things happen. When we have that moment to go inward, that's when we can really see that magic and notice that the leaves are falling off the tree or whatever magic there is going on. Be careful not to distort what you hear with what you fear. Welcome to the Seize the Yay podcast. Busy and happy are not the same thing. We too rarely question what makes the heart sing. We work, then we rest, but rarely we play and often don't realise there's more than one way. So this is a platform to hear and explore the stories of those who found lives they adore. The good, bad and ugly, the best and worst day will bear all the facets of seizing your yay. I'm Sarah Holloway, or Spoonful of Sarah. So, as most of the internet knows by now, we got married over the weekend. It was an absolute dream. Best day of our lives and we're still floating on clouds in our little love bubble this week. So thank you so much to the beautiful guests who helped make it so special and to everyone who sent messages of love and support. We are so grateful. More to come on the day itself once things calm down a little bit. But for now, I believe an intro change is necessary as I'm now Sarah Davidson. Thank goodness spoonful of Sarah didn't have a surname anywhere. (laughs) I'm Sarah Davidson, or Spoonful of Sarah, a lawyer turned fun entrepreneur who swapped the suits and heels to co-found Matcha Maiden and Matcha Milk Bar. Seize the Yay is a series of conversations on finding a life you love and exploring the self-doubt, challenge, joy and fulfilment along the way. We've chatted across a couple of episodes now about therapy and psychologists, and I've had so many people mention how positive this was for them to have mental health normalized and discussed more openly. You may know I regularly see a psychologist myself and have for years now, and while I didn't think it was quite appropriate to have my own therapist on the show, one of our beautiful longtime followers and listeners, Amy Kate Isaacs, very kindly stepped in for a chat and flew into Melbourne from Brizzy for the occasion. What an absolute legend. Amy Kate took the long academic road to psychology practice, finishing with her master's degree, and is now a developmental psychologist and founder of the Mindful Collective. She uniquely combines the technical science of psychology with the increasingly important notions of mindfulness and lifestyle factors in promoting good mental well-being. I loved exploring both the vocational depths of studying the mind with her, but also finding out the many different parts of her own journey from being a school chaplain to now practicing with a therapy dog, Evie. I'm so grateful that she also openly shared her personal experiences with therapy following two sexual assaults to help open up discussions that we haven't yet covered on the show and to show that finding your yay can sometimes involve the darkest obstacles, but that the right help and support can put you back on a path to lightness and joy. Hello, lovely. Hello. (laughs) So I cannot believe you flew all the way down here for the day for this, but I'm so glad that you're here in person. Me too. This is so exciting. This is a major mutual creep situation, I think. (laughs) (laughs) You keep apologizing to me. I'm like, don't you know you're talking to the biggest creep weirdo person that stalks people all the time I'm pretty sure I was tagging you half the morning like (laughs) I was like why isn't she replying she's on the plane I mean that's fine (laughs) that's right how was your flight 
It was good. Pretty eventful. A um, little bit of turbulence at the end, which was a bit entertaining oh. for everyone. But yeah, I found it interesting as opposed to <laughs> terrifying. But there were some people around me who found it terrifying. Yeah. I mean, yes. I don't love turbulence. No, it's not my favourite thing. It wasn't too bad, though. Yeah. Okay. Um, yeah. Well, that's an ATA. I yes. Mean. <laughs> that, was, that was a bit of a nay to start the morning. <laughs> and have you brought the brizzy heat with you? I feel like it's kind of sunny outside. And the first thing everyone from Melbourne says to anyone from up north is oh you brought the sun with you (laughs) just casually from two uber drivers this morning so solidly will agree with that nice i mean it's just the first thing with where are you coming from brizzy oh look it's sunny today that's right it's all my fault (laughs) okay so before we kick off as you know i love to start every episode with asking everyone what the most down-to-earth thing is about them so tell us something superhuman about you and i always say superhuman but i really mean like very human (laughs) even though you are a superhuman as we will find out soon (laughs) well probably something that is very down to earth happened yesterday and it is such a classic example of me so (laughs) I was out on the balcony and it's really windy and brizzy at the moment and so there's clothes flying everywhere I have a feeling something flew off the balcony but not 100% sure (laughs) probably knickers yeah (laughs) oh well someone got a surprise (laughs) and um I didn't realize but because I live in an apartment and I have a dog we have wee mats for her nice just in case and I turn around and the wee mats had flipped upside down and she was weeing on them. As I was outside with hair all over myself, <laughs> it's going everywhere. I didn't know whether to save the dog, the clothes, or the, the wee mat. Or the wee mat. <laughs> so yeah, that's my life though. Oh, yeah. I mean, I can just, I have a great picture in my head right now. <laughs> <laughs> she was looking at me too, like, um, I'm sorry, I really needed to go. <laughs> like, thanks Eve. Oh my gosh, I can't wait to introduce everyone to Evie. <laughs> we will get to that. Jeez. Sweet. Oh, I'm, and I'm really disappointed. We were just talking about the fact that dogs can't come, you know, in a seat with you on the plane. I think that's really rude. Yes. I would much prefer <laughs> to so have been rude. able to bring her. It would have been a completely chaotic time. She would have had a right party. That would have been the best sure. time though, really. Yes. <laughs> so the first section is called Way TA. Uh, and we just discussed that in a lot of cases, it's a bit, you know, it's a bit artificial to kind of separate Way TA from Nay TA, particularly when the challenges are kind of what helped you form your idea of where you wanted to end up and the journey that you ended up undertaking. So in this episode, guys, we are going to probably mishmash them together a little bit (laughs) along the way. (laughs) But let's start at the very beginning. Tell us about young Amy. So Queensland girl, what were your hobbies? What did you think you wanted to be when you were young? (laughs) Well, I was a pretty organised, quiet kid, Um, pretty sensitive, very uncoordinated. Um, (laughs) So sport was not my forte. We actually had a basketball coach that used my ability to talk to people as a way to distract the state players when we were playing so my parents really believed in me doing something that I really struggled with and that was basketball for me um well done and out of your comfort zone (laughs) I was truly hopeless I scored one basket I guess ever and the all of the parents were up cheering like she did it (laughs) that is so cute (laughs) but I was good at music Mm -hmm. singing was something I was really good at and I really loved it and I was a kid who really found finding those moments of magic just it was so easy for me I would sit on my window and get really excited in October when it was starting to heat up and the 
all of the dead leaves were falling off the trees and there was that sense of movement and magic and I just absolutely loved those moments. I thrived on them. And I found that in high school, I lost that a fair bit. So high school was a bit tricky because in year eight, I'd been awarded a scholarship for singing. Mm-hmm. And oh my gosh, so it was like quite serious. Yes, yeah, wow. I, was, I was quite good. I was, my first ever competition, which is so funny considering I was quite a quiet kid. I went up and did my piece and then sat back down and was waiting for the end of the Estedford. <laughs> and then they went to award first place and they start giving you feedback um, before they announce the name. And I'd already walked up. I was quite certain <gasps> I'd won. <laughs> Thank you. I'd like to thank my parents. Yeah. Yeah. That's right. Just completely owning it, which was the exact opposite of high school. So Did you actually win, by the way? Oh, yes. Yes. Oh, yeah. Okay, good. (laughs) Just making sure. Um, I thought that was the end of the story. And then it wasn't me. And then it was somebody else. Yeah, yeah, and I went to high school. I went to an all-girls private school. And it was a really big deal for our family because we weren't typically from the income bracket that those people were generally from. And so there was a lot of hope from my parents Mm. on that. And I had surgery on my throat really early and it completely destroyed my voice. And so I had nothing to hang my hat on anymore. I wasn't oh good at anything um, in particular. And at a school like that, that is very tricky. I found yeah. it really hard. And being a sensitive kid as well, I took a lot of the typical banter, I guess, on more personally than what I needed to. Yeah. However, some pretty interesting things happened. And I mean, I'm sure that schools would respond very differently now. (laughs) That's for sure. Um, It was a different time now. (laughs) Very different time. Um, It's so interesting the way that they develop over time and what changes in schools. Oh, my gosh. (laughs) I can't believe that the thing that brought you so much joy suddenly was gone. Mm. Was it a vocal cord thing? Yes. So my understanding, and I can't remember if I'm correct or not but my understanding was that they nicked my vocal cords in the (gasps) surgery so when I came back out I'm assuming so yes I came back out of the surgery and my I just couldn't I just couldn't sing and the school actually tried to take my bursary off me as well because I wasn't useful for them anymore (laughs) different time different yeah 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 (laughs) Oh my gosh, but of course, I mean, that was your, that was the like hook in to the school. Yes, that's it. So my parents were able to argue I was still contributing. I could play piano and I did speech and drama and other things. So I still was there. As a musical kid? Yes. Oh, but gosh. It was an interesting time. And I also (laughs) read that bullying was quite a big part of your high school years. Yes. Which is, I think, something that is much more rife than we ever really talk about. Often, I think, because it's very hard for victims of bullying and also perpetrators of bullying Mm. who might kind of grow up through that phase and later look back, it's not something anyone really feels that comfortable talking about Mm. because either it's shameful on one side or it's shameful on the other side. Absolutely. And I think that you can easily turn from being bullied into bullying other people to try and sustain how you're going. Then you go back to being bullied and it just becomes a vicious cycle as well for a lot of people. And... I know myself, of course, being a teenager, I didn't really know what my values were. I didn't know who I was Mm. and I didn't do anything too exciting, but I did do things that in hindsight were not consistent with my values. And I, 
I think I would have really benefited from having someone to talk through these different ideas with. Yeah. Yeah, which kind of played on to what I'm up to more recently. Yeah. yeah. (laughs) Which again, I always think, you know, looking backwards at people's childhoods, you can connect so many of the dots to where you end up being fully passionate about later because it's every experience that you go through, whether it's adverse or positive, it kind of leads you to you know, where you end up. Absolutely. As a psychologist, it's such the stereotype that you start talking to someone then you go back to their childhood. But it's you you really can't get away with not doing that. Yeah. Because, I mean, our values are primarily formed before we're four. So we're building a lot of things and observing a lot of things as kids that we just wouldn't typically know. And that's why often, again, another stereotype of psychs is that we start to see these patterns and we reflect that back to someone. Mm. And it's sometimes got to do with their parents or something else in their childhood. And it's it's so cringy when it's in a meme, but it can be very meaningful in a session. <laughs> yeah. You're like, are we that predictable? Yeah, that's it. <laughs> Feeling that stereotype. <laughs> so I definitely want to move on to, you know, how you came into psychology and how later experiences, again, kind of reiterated your passion for helping women in particular and young women, you know, in educational context, kind of getting through these issues that are so rife in society. But just before we move on, for anyone out there who has experienced, is experiencing bullying or whose Mm. children are experiencing bullying, what are some of the things that helped you get through that or have later, with hindsight, helped you understand and kind of process those experiences? I think having someone who believes you is a big thing Mm. because we're all about building resilience in kids. And so sometimes we can throw them back into situations and say like, oh, maybe say this. And we give them a really problem solving based response rather than sitting with them in that emotion of that must have sucked. And just let them kind of feel the feelings. Yeah, Yeah. because typically they can problem solve quite well and will come to you with ideas as to, well, maybe I could do this or I could do this. And that's a great time when they're in that mind frame to introduce some more ideas. But initially just acknowledging that feeling and sitting with them can be incredibly powerful. And that sense of, I believe you, that sounds awful, how are you feeling? is incredibly powerful to make someone feel heard when they just don't feel heard mm. in other settings. Mm. And on a personal level, how does how has it, you know, impacted your self-esteem and especially at that formative age when everything is about, you know, looking a certain way and speaking a certain way and doing a certain amount of things? Did it make school really unpleasant for you or were you able to build a resilience, you know, early on to kind of get through it and focus on other things? How did you get yourself through the rest of high school? I used the school holidays a lot. In fact, over the Christmas school holidays, I started I would write down a lot of what I was feeling and thinking and I noticed that my self-esteem would be at a pretty decent level by the time I started and pretty average Um, and then throughout the year it would just slowly decline and then I'd perk up again and I liked the school holidays because I was able to spend more time just being myself and being with friends that I had outside of school and I had great friends inside school as well they just I didn't involve as many people as potentially I should have in a lot of the drama that was going on. Um, Sometimes I think I shared the more low-level drama instead of being honest about some of the deepest stuff that was going on. Yeah, Mm. and that's probably a protective mechanism. And also, like, don't judge me or, like, I don't know, I think often when you're going through something in the moment, later you think, why didn't I tell anyone? But in the moment, it's, like, either 
shameful or you just kind of think, oh, the less I talk about it, the less I'm letting it own my life or, Yes, and I think being sensitive as well and having more of a voice as I got older, there was this stereotype I felt of being a drama queen. Yeah. And in hindsight, I'm not sure that the people who truly knew me and truly loved me actually thought that at all, but I was very aware that that was how some people perceived me. And so I was very conscious of feeding into that. And overcompensating yes. backwards to not yes, yeah, appear absolutely. that way. Yeah. Mm. Oh my gosh. So that was that around the time where you started to think, I want to be a psychologist or when did that form for you? At first I wanted to be a music teacher. Oh my gosh. <laughs> <laughs> and then I did work experience. Oh, that will change yes, a lot of people's minds. <laughs> it did. I found that something that I wasn't expecting, but is very obvious in hindsight. So I did this in year 10, was that the students would come in and out and you wouldn't get to know them as well as say a classroom teacher. And so through that work experience, there were twins who had what we now know as fetal alcohol spectrum disorder. Oh my gosh. And they had very different responses to the alcohol that was ingested during the mother's pregnancy. And so I started, I ended up following the class back and observing some of their class and watching how the teacher interacted with them and she was amazing. And these two kids were quite tricky to handle in a classroom setting. But I watched how she used different strategies with each of them and found that really inspiring and Mm. thought like, oh, how cool would it be if I could come in and help teachers manage students in a way that's helpful for the student and also for the peers to see that student as another student Mm. rather than seeing them as different in a negative light and so that kicked off me starting to look at okay well what kind of job would that be and becoming passionate about psychology and then as I got older became more about also helping women Mm. Oh my gosh. And so that was, that's quite early. I mean, a lot of people do get to kind of year year 10, year 11. And I mean, they know what kind of course they want to get into, but not necessarily because they want to do that more because they're like, I don't know what else I'm going to do. Like I have to choose (laughs) something and have to choose some prerequisite subjects. What then, you know, at that point where you're like, I'm going to get into psychology. I was fairly set. Yeah. And part of that was a lot of little things seemed to fall into place. Music therapy became an option. And so I considered that for a while. And I remember my um, year 11 maths teacher saying to my mum that it's fortunate that I'm wanting to do psychology because stats was the only maths I was good at. <laughs> which, <laughs> which is the most useful. Yeah, that's <laughs> very useful um, in psych. And I couldn't understand why everyone else didn't find that really easy. So I noticed that a lot of things that I found naturally easier were fitting into that category. Yeah. Mm. So then you went on to study your Bachelor of Psychological Science at UQ. Yes, I started at USQ and then swapped over just oh. because I um, I really wanted to be... USQ was starting their psych program at that time and then I really wanted to be challenged. I wanted to be with a bit of a different group of people and not that I wasn't challenged there, but it was just a different cohort, I yeah. guess. Um, and so I wanted to be at a bigger university, lots and lots of people and yeah, really 
thrived in that environment. It's so interesting as well. I think that it's not just the right course, but it's doing it at the right place. And, it, you know, mm. there's just so many options these days. It's so overwhelming. But it can make a really big difference to do the same course, but just at a different uni and yes. end up with specialisations and, you know, lots of different things. So that's really cool that you ended up knowing what was going to work for you and moving. Yeah. And the really cool thing about starting at USQ was that they're very practical. So they got us to join the Australian Psychological Society, which at the time was a really good society to be a part of to learn about more opportunities and I ended up going to the International Conference of Applied Psychology in Melbourne with my nana (gasps) when I was 18 (laughs) (laughs) to help me make sure that the master's program that I was wanting to go into was the right one for me and again it just all came down to working with young people and my definition of young people is almost anyone to be honest young at heart is <laughs> young in the brain <laughs> yeah <laughs> and oh it was so much fun except for constantly getting picked out as the youngest person in the room yeah so in every single seminar I had to stand up when they said oh we have someone very young here today I didn't realize it was unusual for an 18 year old to be somewhere like that and Nana was off gallivanting. And oh, she could have come with you and given you the cred. <laughs> <laughs> she was so good coming down. We stayed with some of her family and, yeah, we, we actually had a lot of fun together. Oh, but. that's really sweet. Yeah. <laughs> so from a couple of friends who have done psychology, from what I understand, you do an undergrad, but to actually practice, it's kind of expected that you do a master's as well. Mm-hmm. So how long did you end up being at uni and... You know, what is the process of what is your undergrad and then what do you do? I think that's when you specialised, was in your master's Mm. and you went on to do educational and developmental psychology. Can you explain to the newbies, to the area, (laughs) what that actually means? Like, how is that different from your general kind of study? Well, the way it works is that you have undergrad for about three years and then you have honours And that's where you really start doing research projects. Although I wouldn't be surprised if that starts changing soon. They're introducing more prac-based aspects into the course now, which is very important because most of us would come out with absolutely no practical skills despite Mm. four years of learning. And from there, you can do what's known. There's so many different pathways. Um, One's called the five plus one, and that's where you do another year of study on top of your honours and then do almost like an internship at two different places and you become a general psych. You can also do masters and masters in all different types of psychology. And then from there, you do the masters for two years and then to specialise, you have to do a registrar program for two years where you're heavily supervised Mm -hmm. in practice. So it takes quite a few years to actually be able to be a special, like a psychologist that has a specialist area. Mm -hmm. And because I'm a bit quirky and didn't do it completely (laughs) in the typical way, um, I've done a lot of extra study to go along with everything. And our PD requirements or professional development requirements are huge, which Mm -hmm. is so great because we're constantly learning and... And because I think you guys really form other people's journeys. You have such a big impact on how people live their lives and how they learn to understand Mm -hmm. their own brain and their emotions and often through times of real adversity and challenge. So I'm very pleased to know that there's lots of PD requirements. (laughs) You'd hope so. Yeah. You'd hope so. And so... Educational and developmental psychology as a specialisation, what does that entail? Is it more, you know, focused on literally in schooling? Is it early stage learning or is it, you know, kind of flesh it out a little bit? (laughs) It's been all of the above. So 
The main way I view it is that you go at anything with a developmental perspective. So you look at where someone could be in their developmental trajectory, where they want to be in their trajectory, and then you help them get there. So it might not be just about symptom reduction. It could be symptom reduction plus helping them get a job that they actually really enjoy or Mm -hmm. sorting out some relationship difficulties that are going on. It's kind of taking that step further. We do do a lot of pracs in schools working with teenagers or kids. And we also do a lot of things like working with Headspace. And so we're known for working particularly with children and elderly Mm -hmm. people. I just decided that I liked the full, full, full age spectrum. spectrum. <laughs> <laughs> nice. Because it, it shakes it up. You really have to think about what you're doing. You have to be on your toes. And that's really fun. If you come at someone with an incredible level of respect for them, I find that you're able to work with them in such a meaningful way, regardless of even what type of psych you're from. Mm. And that's really the core part that brings us all together. And sometimes the educational part of the name confuses people because they assume that I just do things like cognitive assessments and, you know, determining someone's IQ and whether they have dyslexia. And that is part of what I do. I yeah. did that this week. But um, it's, <laughs> it's not, not the strictly whole thing. yeah yes. related to education only. That's why yeah. I was so interested. I was like, tell me more. Like, is it literally just the learning kind of behavioral things or is it more broad everything yeah (laughs) so cool (laughs) I specialized in everything (laughs) I did everything but there are things that I definitely wouldn't see in the clinic certain presentations and certain people that would be better off seeing say a specialist clinic and that's someone who might have an eating disorder or be suffering with really severe mental health issues not because we've done no training in that, but more you really want someone where that is their jam. Mm. That's not my jam. Mm-hmm. So that they aren't the people who generally present with me. Yeah. Okay. And that's mm-hmm. also, I think, really important to know for anyone out there who doesn't see a psychologist and who is looking into it is that there are generally people who have practices that are very specifically focused on issues that are relevant to you. Mm. There's general, of course, if you're just, mm. you know, generally needing support, but there are also really specialised people who can help you in the very specific issues that we all have along our ways. <laughs> Absolutely. And being able to match your personality and your vibe with mm. that person is something that I think often people forget to do. Like I tried probably about at least eight different gyms before I found a studio that really fit for me as a person. Mm. And not that I would want someone to ever have to try that many psychologists, but of course, trying to get someone's vibe beforehand is really going to help someone know if they're seeing a person who is likely the right person for them. Mm. Because although we have all these different specialties, if you really fit with someone and you have that awesome jam vibe going on, (laughs) that's just awesome and we know that that's what leads to awesome outcomes it's so interesting that you said Mm. that I've been seeing a psychologist for so many years I think we've spoken about this before Um, and for different things at different times and even for one person when you do find that jam over it's like any relationship at different phases of your life you might 
evolve to need someone different and it's even when you do find that person it can be different people at different stages of your life and I've definitely had cycles where someone has been specifically amazing for getting through one type of issue and then two years later you know I might not see anyone in between but two years later I I have something else that appears that's you know a different specialty and has a different person or because I'm older or whatever it is you know it's not always going to be the same person for your whole life that you need the whole time. And it's also not necessarily forever either. It can be very situational. Um, Mm -hmm. So one of the things I wanted to talk to you about is the fact that a lot of people are reluctant to go and see someone because either there's stigma, because they don't know anyone, they don't have a referral, or because they just don't understand what, you know, psychology is. Mm -hmm. And I know that there's a big part of your journey that has helped you understand how much psychology can really help you get through things when otherwise you go unsupported and it can often be a longer, much rougher road without a professional helping you. So do you feel comfortable talking about that a little bit? Yes. (laughs) (laughs) So when I was 17, I was assaulted. So I was raped twice within the space of a few months by two separate people. Um, the second person was aware of what had happened with the first. The first was quite physically violent, whereas the second one was more that I don't want to be in this. I'm saying, no, I'm really upset. And the other person just doing whatever they want anyway. And so I didn't get help after the first one, um, mainly because I didn't tell many people. Mm. I especially did not tell people who would help me. I was very cautious that I'll just tell people who are a little bit distant from me, I'll keep it kind of on the down low. Mm. Um, And with the second one, it was only when I spoke with some friends afterwards about what had occurred. And I was very, I was still in shock. I now can see that I was still in shock. It was about a week later. And the two girls I was with said, do you know that that's assault? Like you were assaulted. And so I went, I'd had to go to my GP after the first one um, because of the physical issues. And then I went back to him and said, oh, by the way, I think think it might've happened again, explained what had happened. And he said, yes, that is clearly not consensual. Mm. Um, And he referred me to a psychologist who did EMDR therapy, which is eye movement desensitization therapy and that um, is fantastic for trauma in a lot of cases it just happened to not work for me mm-hmm. and so I was is this this one yes yeah I've done yes. that as well yeah yeah <laughs> so it's the research behind it is unreal it just happens to have not I don't know if it was that it was too close I'm not mm. sure and then I saw someone else and she wasn't quite the right fit and then met the psychologist that I kept for a while and she was just unreal she's actually the person that I refer people to if my friends want to go and see someone her and a few other people that I know because she was really helpful in even just telling my parents what had happened which I did not think was a priority at all yeah no 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 we'll be we'll be okay (laughs) we will be keeping this to ourselves yes um (laughs) and she was able to help me see that that was actually really important and it it was um I didn't exactly pick the right moment for that though Um, I mean is there a right moment though (laughs) I don't be too hard on yourself I don't think there is one (laughs) no just when everyone's in the car all trapped together oh great at the start of the trip I'm sure oh yeah good good (laughs) so it was um very it was still done in my way um but that was incredibly 
powerful. And it wasn't that it was an amazing process where I just felt sensational after every <laughs> session. I mean, I was yeah. bawling my eyes out. Yeah. And then I saw someone who was a counsellor, so not a psychologist, mm-hmm. and I caught up with her probably for about two years on and off. And it was just that chemistry. She was an older lady and she was just so gentle. Mm. She was so gentle. And that is what I needed after doing the more intense therapy and just having that accountability and yeah. So moved through a few and it was just, if I hadn't have done that, I I was heavily suicidal at the time and it would have been a really different scenario, I think, for me if I hadn't eventually taken that risk. And it is a risk. I mean, I saw two people that didn't fit well for me first and every time you're getting the trauma PowerPoint out and going, okay. Yeah. Is that the meme? On. Did you see yes. that the other day? Me too. I was like, yes. <laughs> so guys, there's a meme out on the internet that's like when you have to swap therapists or something, when you meet a new therapist and there's, you know, to save you going through the whole story every time, there was just a joke that, you know, we should all have a PowerPoint that tells them so that we don't have to kind of up, up you know, have the upheaval of telling it again. But it's true. I mean, like yes. I had the same, I went through, you know, a couple before I found my most recent one. And I was like, I cannot tell this story. I cannot. Mm. And it's not just this, it's not even just the traumatic bits, but it's all the bits of your personality that you're like, before you need, you know, can do anything, you need to know that I do this when I eat Cheetos and my twisty, like you need to know the whole me and all my decision-making before I feel like you get what's going on and it takes the whole session you're like I just paid you like 250 bucks to listen to my story and tell me no words that's right to listen yeah (laughs) and ask me more for me to talk more no (laughs) that's it it can feel and I have people now who will come to me and be like okay so here it is don't have any response I'm just gonna fly through it or I'll get a email at the start okay this is it like which they've copied and pasted like it's the powerpoint yeah Yeah. exactly which is really helpful because some people really can't do it again they Mm. they really feel that that's the biggest barrier them to for them to see someone else and I have had situations where I'm not the right person for someone it might be at the start it might be part way through and so generally I will, if, if they want me to, I don't just suddenly appear in their new site's office, but I'll go with them and I'll <laughs> oh. give the handover beforehand. So, so they that, don't have to bear yeah. that load again. Wow. And so they can add in the bits they think are important, but they don't have to go over all the nuance. And I suppose I already know what a psych might be looking at yes. for that person. So I can kind of hit some of the big bits that they might want to flesh out further. But with, it feels a bit different when they already know something. Mm. Mm. Oh, gosh. It's just I, I think the more that we can talk about things like this on forums like this mm. where it's much more open about how, you know, the process isn't kind of perfect. You do have to do a bit of experimenting like you do with anyone that you're going to entrust your mm. deepest, darkest secrets with, even friendships. Like it takes a little bit to find it. And I think either people are too scared to go to begin with or they go, they don't get the right fit. They don't feel fixed kind of in one session and then they give up on the process. But it's so important, anyone out there, that if you are looking around, you know, it does, it takes a little while. It takes sometimes lots of different people and it's like anything for the best results, you really need patience. And I've seen my most recent psychologist for like two years, yes. once a week for two years or maybe <laughs> even more. And even when you get past, you know, sometimes it's trauma 
like in your situation. Mm. And sometimes it's not. Sometimes it's just ongoing self-management. Yes, and it, absolutely. Yeah, mm. it can kind of mould into like once you get past a really difficult emotional period, you can sometimes even kind of go into like executive coaching almost. Mm, like it, yes. it's just externalising all the crap that you have in your brain that, you know, sometimes you don't have the energy to sort that. And someone who has the expertise to help you sort that out and then put it all back in your brain again, mm. that's just a life coping mechanism. Yes. Like I can't even explain how pro-therapy I am. Like not for no reason, <laughs> mm. but I think where we err on the side of not seeking it out, particularly because often, like you said, you didn't even know that you were assaulted. Mm. And people, there's a big denial factor as well. And I can cope, like I'm fine. I don't have anxiety or I don't have depression. And it's something that I think we need to normalize a little bit more if we can. Yeah, absolutely. And even from the normalizing perspective, I've had some people come in and their first statement is, okay, I think I have anxiety, but I'm not one of those people. Yeah. And not that they're (laughs) necessarily going completely over the top and judging. It tends to be more teenagers that have that perspective Mm. of, I'm not trying to get attention because that's the stereotype that Mm. can be put forward by adults with teenagers where it's like, oh, okay, you're just trying to get connection with someone and that's why this behavior is coming up when if that is actually the case, then that's a problem and that needs to be worked through with that person in a supported way so that we can have people around them who they feel connected to. But also mental health just happens sometimes and it can be completely unrelated to Mm. needing connection with a particular person. It can be because of trauma. It can just be because of exams. Like it doesn't have to be something big for it to be valid Mm. and something that someone can work through Mm. and I think you know that's another thing that I've learned in you know my whole journey as well is that I have seen the the initial kind of breaking of that barrier to seeing a psychologist was related to particular you know a situational time in my life but then later this is like years and years later I hadn't had anxiety or depression that wasn't why I started Um, but then like I think I was around when I had chronic fatigue and it must have just like activated something in my brain, some kind of chemical imbalance that had just never had the circumstances to emerge at like 29 or 30 was, or not 30, that was recently, but you know, in my late 20s, this just incredible anxiety and like physiological anxiety, like panic attacks, calling ambulances, like all that kind of thing kind of hit me. And that was not related to anything. It was literally just brain chemistry mm. and, you know, people are like, oh, what happened? I'm like, nothing. Yes. Everything was actually going amazingly. Yes. I just exhausted my brain chemistry and couldn't produce serotonin anymore mm. and just couldn't regulate my emotions. And I was like, I'm sad. Why? I don't know. I had no idea. And I think that's mm. another thing is people think they have to have had a trauma. They have to have had something happen or they, you know, if they're sad or down for no reason, they're kind of like, oh, I'm just you know, hormonal or something. It's like, oh, no, maybe you do. It just comes on sometimes. Absolutely. And sometimes the looking for a why is actually the most stressful part Mm. because it feels unexplainable. And as humans, we don't like things that don't, in inverted commas, make sense. (laughs) Yeah. And so because there is no why, it can cause this incredible cycle that people can get caught in. Mm. And by it's really comforting for some people to go okay I don't actually need a why Mm. I don't need something to have triggered this because I don't feel there was something of course in other cases people don't feel that something is connected and eventually decide that maybe it is but that's not in every case yeah oh Mm. my gosh I just think the breadth of stuff you must have to deal with like (laughs) 
the first few years out, you must just be so like, oh my God, can I cope with what's going to come at me? (laughs) Absolutely. Absolutely. It's, um, it was something I was very conscious of as well, given that I had been assaulted. I had decided I'm never working in that area. And that's so interesting. Well, it didn't turn out that way. Okay. <laughs> yeah, eventually you're like, well, oh, no, maybe I will. <laughs> and imagine having that as part of a phone screener. And you can come and see Amy if you are. Uh, have you been assaulted? No. That's a really. Yeah, it's like a threshold question. <laughs> that's right. Yes, no question. And it's ended up being something I'm incredibly passionate about. And I've built really good skills in that area mm. because I have an incredible empathy for what people go through and the complexity of it. It's not clear yeah. in that you don't necessarily feel that you've been assaulted or other people might not feel that you've been assaulted. Yeah. And suddenly you're dealing with their perceptions and it's, it's a complicated process. And so, yeah, it's ended up being something that I do work with a lot of women and men actually in. Wow. Mm. So from that, you know, I think you were 18 at the time and, and were already studying psychology at that time, yes. is that right? So mm-hmm. how did you go on? I mean, now to be even comfortable speaking about it in a public forum is an incredible, like, I can't imagine how hard that would be to have gotten yourself to a stage where it doesn't bring up things for you. I mean, I'm sure mm. it doesn't not bring up things, but, you know, <laughs> to be comfortable to talk about it and to then be able to help others in that situation just also shows how important psychology is (laughs) yes but you know what was the progression from that moment to becoming passionate about the the career that you're in and then I want to hear also about how you then went out in practice on your own but first you know from 18 onwards and then to finishing and then to moving into practice how Mm. did you get to this stage where you are now I did a few things after honours that were really interesting so I did a cognitive neuroscience honours and that um, project and that was really interesting but definitely not my jam Um, (laughs) amazing for some people just yeah not mine and then I was a youth worker in Anala in Brisbane which is a really interesting suburb to have worked in and learned a lot Mm -hmm. and was also steep learning curve (laughs) that's right steep learning curve Um, and then worked as a chaplain as well in schools yeah so I worked in two schools as a chaplain during that time and that was incredibly fulfilling being really on the ground getting to know families I was incredibly young doing it and I again learnt so much and I'm so grateful that I did do that year and didn't go straight into masters because it really prepared me for what I was about to get into wow incredible I'm I find it really I'm really glad that the universities give a lot of weight to that sort of experience now. Mm. And then jumped into masters, which was very interesting. And I wouldn't go as far as to say I thoroughly enjoyed it. Um, (laughs) (laughs) I learned a lot and I'm so grateful that I did do it. It was very stressful. And I did bring some of that stress on myself, I will say, because in O-Week, (laughs) <laughs> they, had t- <laughs> they had told us that no one, you could not possibly work and graduate on time. Okay. You couldn't so you do worked. those two things. And I thought, that's such a limiting thing to say to a bunch of people. Yeah. Um, <laughs> that I is don't a agree. nay to yay, guys. <laughs> I mean, right. what about believe you can do anything? <laughs> that's right. <laughs> so I, yeah, was the only person to graduate on time from my cohort. <laughs> 
I did read that actually. That is amazing. <laughs> While working um, as a boarding supervisor at a private girls' school. And again, that was incredible. And I purposefully did choose a job that was out of hours so yeah. that I had more flexibility. And they were fantastic with me as well. Um, there was the cheeky you know, checking girls in and out, bringing up the thesis, adding a little bit in, minimising, checking girls in and out, going yep. with their process. We've all done a Not bit of the whole... checking them out in that way. Just <laughs> yeah. yeah. Checking that. them in on the roll. Yes, that's right. Just to be clear. <laughs> <laughs> just to be very clear. Um, yeah, and through that time, I actually found so much misinformation about self-care. Actually, through my own experience in Masters, I started researching stress and how self-care works and Mm. what it can look like and seeing the girls in boarding too. I mean, we had at one point, like the grade sevens had just started. So grade seven girls boarding and being away from their families. And, you know, when you're putting forward, okay, bubble baths and scented candles, which I'm a massive fan of. I have scented candles in the clinic all the time. It's quite limiting because it seemed that we were missing the work. Mm. We were missing knowing yourself. Yeah. And that became something I was more passionate about as I went through Masters. Oh, my gosh. Mm. It is so cool how each different experience added something to where you ended up. Absolutely. I... It's interesting that it started so young, as yes. you were saying before, because that's I don't think that's particularly common. I think my path almost had to be guided quite heavily because I like to go rogue on situations <laughs> yeah. and do my own interpretation of things. <laughs> Beautiful people, just popping in quickly to thank one of our major sponsoring partners, American Express, for helping me continue to bring you your dose of yay. Since earlier this year, we have been American Express Platinum Business Card members across several of our businesses, making every dollar we spend more rewarding. Expenses aren't always the most enjoyable part of doing business, but you can sweeten every dollar spent by earning membership rewards points along the way. You can earn up to 2.25 membership rewards points per dollar you spend to redeem on flights, which we have already made great use of, or even retail and entertainment rewards. You also get access to a dedicated account manager who can help with working capital solutions and help you get the most out of your card. Don't do business without the Platinum Business Card. More details in the show notes. Terms and conditions apply. Oh, and then this is my favourite part. You have founded your own business, The Mindful Collective, and also have a therapy dog called Amy. Yes, (laughs) my favourite bit. And I think one of the things I find most interesting is that it's quite unconventional to hear the word mindful in the context of psychology, even though you wouldn't think they wouldn't be together. Mm. But I kind of feel like mindfulness feels quite woo-woo and psychology Mm. feels very science. And it's only recently, I think, that anyone has started to find the relevance of them together oh yes so it's so cool that your business is called has the word mindful in it (laughs) and that mindfulness has become a really important part of you as a psychologist and the practice that you run so how did that develop and and I imagine that this whole realization about self-care and understanding self has been a big part of that yeah as I went through masters I um just before it actually I met my now husband old Tom and Tommy Tom's awesome (laughs) but he nearly got in a lot of trouble when we started hanging out so he started talking to me about my levels of stress nice and he interventioned um, you that he did he was like have you heard of this thing called mindfulness like I do it if I'm a bit nervous he introduced you to it he put (gasps) me onto it 
I was completely angry, offended. Of oh course. my gosh, how I'm dare the psychologist. You? And also, like, that's so woo woo. Like, I don't understand <laughs> that at all. And you want me to. I had a very stereotypical view of what mindfulness was. Mm. I thought I had to sit silently in a room on my own. With, you know, Bald that's in a monk <laughs> outfit. Yeah, absolutely. I think that's what lots of people think. Yeah. I was like, I don't have time for that. Um, and then I actually went to the research to prove him wrong, which of course proved him completely correct. And so I started meditating every morning and I give that a lot of credit for getting through masters with any level of sanity. It was only little at the end there. But with any level, it was so... (laughs) The strings of sanity (laughs) left at the end. Oh my gosh, at the end there, it was really chaotic. Um, Yeah, as a cheeky side note, that's just hilarious. Tom actually proposed to me just after I submitted my thesis. And I I hurried him up. (laughs) Excuse me, I've got shit to do. (laughs) I was like, look, we've got a surprise birthday party to get to. We've done that. He had this really cool scavenger hunt where I had to go and get clues. And we were at the RSPCA and Lush and all sorts of different places. And I was like, look, um... This is so lovely, but I've got the clues, so I know I know what's happening. Oh that, my god! So um, can we can we get this show on the road? And, and he he was just like, well, I'm not proposing to you in a car. So he got out, pulled over at this random side street near this random lake, and yeah, that is proposed. So and we got lovely. back in the car <laughs> and kept doing your to do list. Yeah, nice. that's right. Kept I mean, going. Great. Um, it was so <laughs> us. It was so incredibly us. Him just being he's so laid back, and then I'm there like, come on, I'm, I'm come on. Just, we've got. I'm not to being do. intense. What do you mean? <laughs> and I actually, I've become a lot more chilled since that time. Um, I didn't realize quite how highly strung (laughs) (laughs) but masters really does that even if someone is part-time the demands they have on you it is really a at least two and a half or three year course smooshed into two and I had an incredible thesis supervisor and I was so strategic in who I chose I didn't want to pick one of the really high flyers because they are flying all over the world Mm. and they're not always available and they've got really big projects and it was so great to just focus on things with with her and Amanda was wonderful. So she wow. was a big contributor to everything and giving me the belief that I could employ myself. Yeah. <laughs> and so what did that involve? I mean, had you worked... So did you start the business straight out of your master's? Oh, my gosh. So yes. you never worked in clinic with anyone? No. <gasps> wow. So I worked in a clinic with other psychologists but had my own business that I operated from there so that's where the supervision came in and that was so important it would have been a horrendously risky thing to do otherwise because Mm. you learn a lot when you get out and they provided that really nurturing support that was needed throughout that time and then when did therapy dogs come into it because that is the coolest (laughs) thing ever if anyone (laughs) if anyone is hesitant about going to do therapy with a psychologist (laughs) I mean there's dogs now so that's it that's all we need (laughs) of course everyone jokes about booking in with Evie and not me I mean Um, that's why you're on the show I'm just saying (laughs) (laughs) that's that's my draw card yeah I'm just coming to Brisbane later (laughs) she is brilliant so I um was looking to add something to help me build rapport and to help make people more comfortable mm. and see me as 
approachable. I really don't like the idea that I'm some like amazing guru meditating on a mountain six weeks of the year because that's not <laughs> me. I can't pull that off. Um, I'm also not the super professional businesswoman in a suit um, ever. So that those type of um, we don't have shoes on at the moment. Just saying. <laughs> yeah, that's, right. that's much more my bad. Yeah. <laughs> so I looked at getting Evie and um, or an Italian greyhound. So she's an Iggy. If you've seen anything to do with Jenna Marbles, yes, Kermit um, and Peaches, same vibe, same breed. <laughs> I get that. All the just time. the background. <laughs> That's right. I actually had a dog who looked remarkably similar to Evie in a pink sweater on a vision board from when I was in about year 10. No. I just loved them. There's something so kooky and hilarious <laughs> about them. They're so light. They're really good cuddle size, but they're also ridiculously independent. And they're known for being really nervous. And so when I started my therapy dog training, I started before I had a dog. Wow. So I started doing some training to understand what type of dog should I be looking for. And of course, the beautiful Border Collies and Retrievers and Labradors are so great for that work because if a kid pulls their tail or something, they're, they're quite sturdy, whereas the little dogs, not so much. <laughs> I was um, going to ask, are there breed restrictions? There's not technically, but they do fail dogs, yeah. of course, that can't pass. Yeah. And so I did my training through Therapy Dogs Australia highly recommend uh sam and jess are wonderful and they are helping as are a lot of people all over australia actually have guidelines in place yeah. um, that the australian medical board will put in place for people who have therapy animals just to help regulate it yes because <laughs> um, i'm sure there are some interesting things that have happened in the past <laughs> as there always are at yes. the beginning of a new you know discipline That's right <laughs> so i we eventually met evie we, she was the first litter i guess she was in the first litter that we looked at and it was quite nerve-wracking it was an hour west of noosa so we drove a long way i was the most heightened i've potentially ever been i'd researched the heck out of everything i had all of my knowledge ready to go for this breeder i desperately <laughs> wanted her to say yes um but we were just making sure that there was essentially a fairly outgoing seeming pup yeah in the litter and evie just waltzed on out and just <laughs> oh. tom picked her up she just fell asleep she was so relaxed like i'm him. done yeah yeah and so she chose herself uh, for us <laughs> i mean shadows of her mother at the estedford <laughs> that's right whatever she's like you're gonna pick me so here <laughs> so i am I'm, I'm just gonna save you time <laughs> initiative tick yes and she's, oh my goodness, it's hard to describe her. She is the queen of self-care. Evie will do Aww. what suits Evie at the time. Okay. So managing her in a therapy dog setting can be <laughs> quite entertaining. So we did our initial training when she was um, nine months old. And then after that, um, we couldn't pass the training because she wasn't 12 months old yet. And to be real, we wouldn't have passed anyway. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> Let's be honest. That's right. No chance. Um, I'm pretty sure I cried on like two of the days. Like it's really intense because you're in the sun for a lot of that time. Yeah. And 
I'm used to being indoors all the time. <laughs> I'm sunburned. Yeah, that's right. This is so hard. Um, and also, Evie was just the most cheeky little pup. She would just roll on, do whatever she wanted. And so I'm constantly pulling her back and doing this and that. And um, Tom had moved away for six months that week oh. to go and study elsewhere. So that was also quite stressful. So it was hilarious timing. And... We reset our training not long after she turned one. And oh my goodness, boy, was I waiting for the end. And I just couldn't wait. I ended up just bursting out with, so do you think I passed? <laughs> <laughs> um, because you pass as a handler and dog team. You don't pass oh, so you just can't as just... a dog. Okay, yeah. Yeah, so you pass as a team and you never lend the dog to another health professional or another person. You're yeah. with them all the time. Because dogs are dogs. Yeah. They can do anything. And they're loyal to, like, yeah, yes. their behavior will depend on it being with you. I mean, yes. that's part of it. And the training is about six days straight, and the initial training. And it's amazing the amount that you learn about the dog's cues and you learn about your specific dog. So I know if Evie yawns, it's not necessarily that she is tired because dogs don't generally yawn when they're tired. It's that she's relieving stress. And the same with when she shakes. Wow. Yes. And so I can communicate with her now with tone of voice rather than saying something like drop it or leave it or anything. If I use a lower tone of voice, she knows, whoop, not supposed to go near there. Wow. So part of the end training or the assessment, is that they put dog treats and dog toys all over the floor. Oh, my God, and they have to not touch them? Yes, <gasps> and you need to walk them through it, and they won't touch it. And I then... couldn't even do that. No. <laughs> <laughs> if you tried to leave me, I'd be like, what's that? Yum. <laughs> Yum, guys. <laughs> and then they get a treat at the end, of course, just because that's such a hard task, especially for Labradors who just love eating. Oh, my gosh. Um, but, yeah, I with Evie now, she goes out every morning that she works with me and we work three days a week together in the clinic she goes out in the morning for four hours on like this she goes she gets picked up in a white van which is quite creepy (laughs) but it's it's so cute her work bus that's the school bus i know and there are other dogs in there and it's just so (laughs) sweet so she hops on she gets very excited they take her to two different dog parks and then they drop her back to me oh my god yeah which is awesome such a great business and then she's exhausted all afternoon so i look like a wonderful therapy dog yeah. owner when in actual fact she's, she's tired, tired. <laughs> <laughs> and she gets the zoomies between five and six Actually, i heard that you had you finish at six so the 5 yes. p.m session is always a fun time <laughs> we generally don't have someone come in who's coming in for the first time, yeah. time just because evie can be pretty creative with her energy um, <laughs> It's also snack time, so she gets very excited for that as well. (laughs) Do you find that, you know, her presence has a profound effect on people? Absolutely. There's a lot of research around how because our cortisol levels decrease when we're with, particularly a small animal as well, and our caregiving system really activates, so we want to look after that animal. We're already in that mode because they're so little. And in a lot of cases, it's about helping someone use that sensation back to themselves and going well how would look at how evie looks after herself and how you want to care for her what why don't we try and direct some of that back to you and also looking at the way that someone 
can accidentally divulge more than what they wanted to because of that significant drop in cortisol, Mm. which is one of our stress hormones. And so I do warn people, like you might feel really comfortable sharing something with me and then go home and think, I can't believe I said that. Yeah. Let me know because that's potentially because we've had Evie in the room and you've had her on your lap snuggling in. (laughs) And you're all happy and cushy. Exactly, yeah. And then you get a bit of a vulnerability hangover afterwards. So then we can manage that. It's it's becoming really helpful that because I talk to people about it early, they kind of manage it and go, I want to say this, but I also don't want to feel that. So can I say it next session and just remind me that I had a thing to tell you? Wow. <laughs> so then we'll do that. That's so cool. Yeah. And animals are just so intuitive. I found like mm. a couple of times I would have, a, like, um, it doesn't happen so much anymore, but when I was really underweight um, from the, I had a parasite in Africa and yes. then I was sick with the chronic fatigue for like maybe a year. And in the six months of the initials, like really, really, my whole body was just under so much stress. Mm. I would have panic att- attacks come on totally randomly. I would have no preparation and they'd just like intensely just hit me. Like I couldn't, I couldn't have been out and about doing that. I, mm. I had to be at home. And Paul would just run up like from mm. the back of the house. He'd just run up and sit and just sit really close and not yes. like not needy not like mm. you know they know that something's happening they're not like normal like ah oh, give me attention he'll just come up and sit <laughs> yeah. and just wait until it was over and then I'm like oh my god dogs are just how they're so intuitive even with um I had this hilarious situation happen where I was having this incredible what I found out later was a gall pain gall bladder pain and Evie was just not leaving me alone at all. And I didn't realize that I was in pain. I just knew I was really on edge, yeah. let's say. Um, and so I started picking up something must be going wrong because she she wouldn't even let me have a shower without her being wow. there because Tom wasn't there. And so she was she hyper-vigilant knew. that something was going wrong. And so, yeah, it was now if she starts getting a bit funny I know like oh okay I need to slow down because stress was found to be a big um, impactor this was a while ago and so I was able to go okay so she's a really helpful cue now (laughs) that is so cool dogs are the best oh my god yes so I want to talk about something which I think probably crosses over from NATA to play TA (laughs) and it's not just another challenge that most people have when they start running their own business but particularly in a caregiving role which is strictly confidential as well so you can't even kind of Mm. release that tension anywhere how have you dealt with the inability to switch off Mm. and the intense need to switch off because for most jobs you know we need to switch off because we don't want to burn out but for you you also emotionally need to switch off because it's just so involved it's so involved in the care about other people it's so involved in you know things that I often think that I would worry so much about leaving my clients in between Mm. and being worried at the end of the session like you'd want to call them all the time but you'd like have to have boundaries (laughs) and then and then your own care because you're so busy caring for everyone else and then also your pet is involved in work so it's like you know the boundaries are just Mm. blurred so much so how do you separate and how you know have you struggled to build those boundaries for yourself I think I did initially and over time I've learned more and more how powerful those boundaries are for my clients as well. So when I had more of a, oh, you can email me anytime and I'll get back to you and more of that really fluid idea as far as running a business was concerned, that was actually unhelpful, not helpful. Yeah. So 
once I learned more of those things, I have an out of office responder on all the time. I don't turn it off ever. Wow. And it says that these are the things I could be up to. I could be yeah, I've deep got breathing. Yeah, it's amazing. <laughs> yes. And these are the different things that the Mindful Collective is up to and what Evie's doing. And that way they feel like they're getting some information. And of course, they have crisis lines in them as well. Mm. But it says I, I have to value my self-care in order to be there for you. And so I will get back to you in two business days, but it will take that time. Mm. And I from memory have not had a single person not resonate with that in fact i do get people respond to the auto responder saying oh <laughs> yeah <my> gosh, girl <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> oh that's so good because i can imagine it'll be hard to at the end of the day just like switch it off and and not even in a situation where you're worried about someone but even just in a situation where you're like not like trying not to psychologize everything yes like does tom ever get like <laughs> um babe turn it off like be a person every now and again he'll say something and I'll be like oh and he said there's a particular face I must put on because which is your work face (laughs) don't say what you're about to say (laughs) and even like on tv and stuff or when you hear about other people do you kind of go that's definitely the blah 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 like some you know psychological (laughs) thing do you find that your brain does that mind yeah it can go there particularly watching certain tv shows and going like oh I hope that I hope that TV show is helping that person and they have a psychologist on hand because I've worked with the TV show before, actually. Really? Yeah, a show that ended up airing on the ABC where they sent kids with body cams into schools that were being bullied to see what was going on. Oh and we had to assess the kids to see which ones would actually, the teenagers, sorry, to assess which ones um, would be resilient enough and have the support to be able to follow through with that. And so there was a very limited pool that we and said yes we? to. And we were in contact constantly throughout that process to make sure they were okay. And a few of them, we ended up going, yeah, you've done it, but we're gonna, we don't want that to be put on air. Um, we're gonna take that. And we helped the parents make that decision. And um, the production company was really supportive of that as well, despite all the money they were funneling in and Ian Thorpe was part of it. So they wow. loved meeting him and oh yeah. Oh my gosh. But that's where my mind goes, is that person supported? Are they gonna be okay? <laughs> or when there's like pre-diagnosis of something, are you like, yes. oh yeah, I know definitely trauma. There's trauma going on there. I mean, something that's going on. that is classic textbook, blah, blah, blah. Like, <laughs> do you do that? Are you like, yeah, borderline personality disorder. I can see it. <laughs> there is so often times where that sort of flag of, that comes into it with the, I hope they're okay. I hope they're, because we all look like we have something going on when we're stressed. We all do have something. I think everyone does oh, have we, something we going all on. Do we're all a bit crazy on. in our own special way. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> oh, yes. And so when that comes up, it's like, oh, I hope that person's supported because I don't want that to turn into something else if it's not there already. Yeah. Um, so I am known for a, a um, cheeky contact of random production <laughs> companies to be like, is this happening? Is this okay? <laughs> yeah, what happens to this character? <laughs> <That's right. laughs> um, just because I find it, I do find that if I switched off in the way of going, oh, I'm worried about this situation, I'm going to do nothing and switch off. That for me is not switching off. It's being able to take some sort of boundaried action yes. to check in in a way that is appropriate in that situation. So if I wake up in the middle of the night with a thought about one of the people I hang out with, 
then I go and write it into their notes for the next session that's planned. I don't go and email them immediately and say, yes. hey, I was thinking about this, da-da-da-da-da. Yeah. Mm. And what about in friendships? Like outside mm. of a work context where you're like, I think something's going on here or I'm worried about this person because blah symptoms or, you know, mm. how do you deal with having the knowledge that sometimes I'm sure you're like, I wish I didn't have this knowledge and I could just look at everything (laughs) how it is, you know? (laughs) Yes, absolutely. Um, I'm actually quite fortunate. I don't know if this is a little bit strategic on my end, but a lot of my friends are very psychologically minded, whether they intend that or not. Mm. And so we will talk to each other about what's going on. Yeah. Okay. And so it's a really easy gateway to be like, hey, and most of them have psychs. Yeah, so, I'm so like, it's fine. You've got an appointment coming up. You They're know like, who to yes, talk to. Yes, do you. Yeah. <laughs> yes, and that was the other question. Yes. Do you, A, find that you're harder or easier on yourself because you have a lot more knowledge about your brain than other people? And B, do you still see your own psychologist? I think initially I was harder on myself and now I'm more gentle with myself because I know I'm very human, incredibly human. And so that really helps me stay accountable to, well, if I'm not looking after myself and my own self-care and doing the work, how on earth can I ask that of someone else? Yeah, totally. Mm. And do you still see someone regularly? Yes. Yeah, absolutely. And she's awesome. (laughs) (laughs) And every time she tries to wean, like she's like, you're doing really well. I'm like, no, no, (laughs) no, no. no, no." (laughs) Because that's another thing. I think you really, you just have this perception that you have to be crazy or trauma or have a condition that's recognizable or something but like it's just self-maintenance it's my way Mm. of of being active in the brain to Mm. the level and extent that I expect myself to be able to operate at I can't do that and I can't maintain it without seeing someone with regular checkpoints who can help me understand my brain like it's just I can't that's my my armor in life is having Mm. a a therapist Mm. and by the same token we're all completely yeah yeah I mean yeah (laughs) and so we as long as we still have goals that we're working towards and those goals change the amount of times I've started hanging out with someone and this particular thing has been their goal and usually it's around symptom reduction because that's Mm. what is feeling really painful for people Mm. once that's completed and they see the possibility well not completed of course but manageable yes that's right once we have a plan and they're managing it and they feel comfortable to move on to something else it opens up to so many other possibilities. And even when, um, because I do online stuff as well, my clients will go away on holidays. Like one of my clients is in Canada and it's people can be all over the place and moving and we can still keep, keep their appointment yeah. and keep working towards their goals. Unless of course we feel they need to be in person with yeah. someone, which of course does happen. Yeah, mm. I do a combination actually of Skype, but my um, psychologist in Sydney. So I kind of do... And I'm there every three weeks. So I do like most of them on Skype. And then when I'm in Sydney, I'll do an in-person one. And that's like yes. a really nice balance of if I feel like there's something I want to talk about in person, I'll just save it until the in-person mm. session. But most of it can be online. Yes. So interesting. So then play TA. When you do execute the, ba- the like when you are using the boundaries mm-hmm. on the other side of the boundary, when you're just you not work you not therapy dog owner you (laughs) how do you play what is the what are the things that make you so joyful and so excited that you forget what time it is and that just bring you joy other than obviously not singing anymore which is the saddest thing I've ever heard (laughs) oh I sing I just don't sing well (laughs) yeah oh well that's great (laughs) to know (laughs) oh I get into it that's for sure 
Um, one thing that I really love is Pilates and that's oh. on the reformer and that's not something I ever really envisaged me thoroughly enjoying but it's the playfulness of it like I'm slipping around on something yeah. when I, <laughs> you're holding things you've got ropes and stuff it all feels very life and death sometimes <laughs> I actually got stuck in short spine the first session I went to and had to yell out for help oh no <laughs> I'm stuck I was like help luckily I laugh at myself a lot yes. so it was totally hilarious and now um the main instructor who owns the studio has been very encouraging she's like your form is improving and she's similarly to psych she's pointing out ways that I'm improving and areas I suppose that I can focus on that I can't see because I'm not out of my body yes like you can see it in a mirror but you're on a certain angle to be able to see that I can't see from other angles so it's so helpful and I also find having closure around self-care. So a beginning, a middle and an end because my job doesn't have that. Yes. When someone's session finishes, that doesn't mean that it's done. The it work means is still it, going. Exactly. Yeah. And the planning is still going in my mind and they're still going. And so by doing something like a Pilates class, there's the before where I get ready to go, then I go and do the class and then I stop and come home. I found that when I was going to gyms or even doing reformer work myself, I didn't feel like it was finished. It always felt like, oh, you could have done something more and that self-talk would still really get in the way rather than enhance what I'm doing. Mm, No one would kind of bring you to a nice finish at the end and say, you've got permission this is mm. the end of the class. Go home. Yes. And someone else being in charge of that rather yeah. than me. Yeah. Which is yeah. amazing. <laughs> <laughs> so that's become a really powerful thing. And also having a self-care perspective. There are days where I don't get to do something that's dedicated for self-care, but I still have a shower and I'm mindful about what I eat. And that does not mean it's always a mindful, healthy choice. Sometimes it's a, I want to eat this because I want to eat it and I still eat it. Yeah, um, but you thought about it. You're exactly. aware. <laughs> that's right. And I love eating mindfully because I find that the things I would usually eat more of, I don't eat as much of because yes. you, you're really satiated then. And by looking at each thing that I'm doing in my day as a self-care act and looking for the self-care, we talk about looking for the positive, but we can actually look for the self-care aspects in everyday things as Mm. well. That is so sustainable in comparison for from looking for self-care acts to do the big gestures yes which are still very important but they don't feel sustainable and we can feel really hard on ourselves if we haven't had time to do that particular thing versus being like okay well I don't have time to do that so I'm going to take three deep breaths and head on into this meeting that I didn't expect I'd have to go to or whatever it is. Totally. I mm. feel like my what I'm trained, I did Vedic meditation training mm-hmm. two years ago when I realized I was too ad hoc. And I, I'd mm. been meditating for ages, but I, I do like two minutes and then I do 11 minutes and then I do a class and then, I, you know, I just felt I needed to do something that made me commit to doing it's 20 minutes twice a day, which is like a, what you think is huge. Once you get used to it, it's actually not that huge a time commitment. But now, you know, sometimes things get so hectic that I'm like, well, I'm definitely not going to be able to fit in 40 minutes. I'm, I'm sure I could, but I'm just not going to. I'm going to let mm. myself be a like crappy human today. And 
when you pull up to a meeting, it's like you've always got like 60 seconds. Mm. You can always be one minute late or one minute. You can just sit in the car and shut your eyes for one minute. Doesn't have to, you don't have to do the whole thing. Yes. But I think it's the smaller rituals that add up that people ignore because they think they're useless because it's not the 20 minutes or the mm. 40 minutes. And I'm like, no, I think the yay, especially for people who are new mums, yes. asking them what's their play to yay is like such a stupid thing to ask because <laughs> they've got no time to wipe their butt. Absolutely, yep. But it's like there are so many, you know, one minute that they can have a chocolate bar and just enjoy the taste on their mouth. Or, you know, there's so mm. many different small things you can do that bring you a joy in that minute it doesn't have to be a class that you have to drive to and park at and then you know it can be small things too that's right and a lot of the people not just women (laughs) I work with I keep saying women I'm like hang on a minute all people that's right a lot of the people that I work with will set themselves challenges to find those moments and the busier in inverted commas that someone is of course, the more creative they have to be. And it's so fun because it turns into that curiosity. Yes. And that's awesome. That's that what I so love. Good. Yeah, I get so excited <laughs> about that. That's what I'm like, everyone can find something. Yes. There's something in your day that makes you a little bit more excited than you know the yes. rest of the day. Do you do things like, do you watch TV? Are you a reader? Are you a podcaster? Or are you like just play with the dog? <laughs> a bit of all of the above, actually. I do watch TV, and again, I will watch something that has a beginning, a middle, and an end. I yes. won't watch something generally that has a cliffhanger, yes. just because that's uh, every day is a cliffhanger for me. So I don't need to feel that sense of that it's not finished mm. or that something is about to happen. I don't need any more of that in my <laughs> life. That's so <laughs> interesting that you said that. That like everyone's life is going to be structured in a different way, meaning that they're going to need different TV shows or different activities based on what do you get a lot of? And so your play has to be what you don't get a lot. Like, it's just, oh, that's so interesting to me. Yeah, absolutely. And people planning out their self-care. I'm so passionate about that. And not necessarily in a way that they're planning it out as in at 5.15, I would be doing (laughs) not like that, um, unless it works for someone. But just having different ideas and experimenting. We are our own experiments. Work out what works for you. Is doing hot yoga fun or do you find it incredibly stressful? If it's stressful, (laughs) you don't have to go again, but you tried it. And you know that that's not as helpful for you versus other things. And some people really, really hate baths. So don't have a bath. Exactly. (laughs) So that might not be something that they should do as a self-care ritual. So it's very individualized, yet Mm. we have this incredible culture of one size fits all for everyone. And we talk about how, oh, you know, it's not all about bubble baths. But we often don't talk about what it can be about. Mm. And it's about knowing ourselves and knowing our values and then being able to use those values and who we want to be to inform little things and the big things that we do. I love that so much. And that's why I love asking this question because people say random things. Yeah. Like they're like, I can't help that this makes me happy. But it do- <laughs> like one of mine is so weird because I'm the most joyful human potential relationships and love kind of person. And <laughs> war is like... Yes. I think it's the part of me that loves psychology. Like in another world, I would have studied psychology. Not to practice, I couldn't practice because I'm just too, I'd just cry. I'm like a basket case (laughs) with other people's situations. But war 
like movies and books and true diaries and all that stuff like fascinates me that and like serial killers Mm. and it's like why I'm so happy and joyful why do I gravitate why does that bring me joy I mean like people killing each other like that's so weird but I can't help it like that's what I find really interesting they're Mm. the books that make my brain just melt into like I can't think about anything that I have to do my to-do list goes out the window and I just get fascinated in these books and it's like it doesn't have like that's a weird thing to say you wouldn't be like what brings you joy war (laughs) genocide (laughs) yep but my faves yeah yeah, but like it it just is like so I think hearing other people say the the weird things that they like doing like sometimes it's bad sometimes it's really weird stuff like I can't (laughs) think of an example but you know it's not always normal self-care things but it's just owning what what does relax you and make you feel Mm. happy and then just doing it Mm. (laughs) so simple and I'm pretty real with myself about what's work too um I ended up watching Married at First Sight this year (laughs) for work because people were coming in really distressed because they related to certain people on the show or the way they were presented and they would talk about them in so much depth that I started thinking, okay, this is a bit of a pattern. I'm going to start watching Oh my God, that's research for you. Yeah. <laughs> Just so I could understand without them having to spend 15 minutes giving me the yeah. nuance of a particular person. I didn't watch it religiously, but it gave me enough of an indication as to what they were talking about. <laughs> so I wouldn't really put that down in my mind as self-care. I would yeah. be real that although I'm watching TV, it's this work. isn't, yeah, this is work-related. It's so interesting. I found even, you know, that's why I burnt out so badly in the first year of business was because nothing was work because it all mm. felt like fun. It was all what I used to do as fun. So I'd come here, we're sitting at Happy Melon Yoga Studios, which is one of my favorite <laughs> places in the world, but I would come to yoga and they stock matcha. And so I would be like looking, you know, at, oh, do I have to refill? Like, have I given them enough stock? Oh, the invoice, like it wasn't relaxing. It is now, but the first year it was, I would treat that as a break but I'd still be thinking about work stuff mm-hmm. and I'd see work people and I, you know, we like are very much in the wellness world. So I'd see people and be triggered about things that I was meant to email them. And, you know, you have to be real about what's work and what isn't. Absolutely. So just to finish up, what are the three interesting things about you that don't normally come up in conversation? I feel like you've probably given us quite a few already, <laughs> a bit serious ones. Yes. But what about the more lighthearted random things? Um, one that is particularly hilarious is that I recently had a bust of Evie made. So you know in Oh my god. Yeah. Of like your a dog's face. Statue of my dog's face. <laughs> which That's so good. Oh my gosh, I really want to creep people out with. Do it. If I could hang it from the wall somewhere like in my apartment complex or hang it randomly so someone gets out of a lift and just sees this. <gasps> That's like your would doorbell. Do that. <laughs> <laughs> That's so Ding. good. Um which Wolf. is so good. <laughs> That's the best. I kind of want to know where you got it made so I could get one done at Paul. She's unreal. I'm pretty sure she's like pet sculptures or pet underscore sculptors on Instagram. Oh my Her name's Chaz. Get around, Chaz. Uh, I'm so excited. <laughs> she's brilliant. And she puts so much care into it too that I just, oh, she was delightful. Another thing would be I also am very oblivious sometimes, like the definition of oblivious. So I went through early in uni while I was in undergrad, I went almost a whole day with one lens in my sunglasses. Really? Wow. I mean, I thought I was oblivious, but that's that's pretty And the great. way I figured it out was the sun kept coming in. I was like, oh, these sunglasses. And I went to touch it and I poked myself in the eye. So it was... Oh, my God. And I would have thought you had eye surgery and just needed a patch. And I, 
I even took, I decided to wear a buttoned jumper to uni on its own one day and just got a bit warm. So started taking it off on the train and this poor guy sitting across from me just did not know where to look. Oh my God. Because I just had a bra on underneath (laughs) and I quickly realized like, oh, there's air where there's not usually, I better do this up quickly. I can just have these hilariously oblivious moments. So my parents would always overcompensate where they'd be like she's very book smart yeah nick does that to me as well he's like guys trust me there's a brain in there somewhere that's right you dig for it and it's there (laughs) so many times i thought my car was stolen once i was like oh my god it's not on the street oh my god where is it and i had driven to uni and forgotten that i had the car because i used to share the car with my dad and i'd taken the bus home like i just forgot (laughs) and then i thought my car was stolen because i wasn't home i left it at uni got like a hundred dollar parking fine like yeah i'm like that stupid stuff yeah yeah it's a great time i love that i love yeah the dichotomous nature of that and something that i've just more recently realized that i kind of want to do and i'm super nervous about mentioning it because i know that people will hold me accountable oh my god exclusive content guys but that's why i want to say it i actually think i want to run a marathon (gasps) because i'm so i've had this stereotype on myself of being a terrible runner um i used to run like a chicken which I'm now going to Pilates to address um, because I truly did run like a chicken. You're like Rachel in Friends, you know that. (laughs) Yeah, and my legs like kick out (laughs) to the side and oh my goodness. So yeah, it's something that I've been thinking a lot about recently and that again, being limiting and wanting to bring it back to what could I do that really has nothing to do with what I do for work, (gasps) but shows me that I can reach something that I wouldn't typically think I could yes. and so that's something I'm going to start working towards give me time guys oh give my god time. you know I have all the tips yes. you know I'm literally yes. the non-runner turned I love that's running right. so much we we oh my god why oh my god when do you fly <laughs> like we don't even have time for this conversation <laughs> we will we'll have words yes <laughs> sounds good I'll um, need all the tips I'll keep you all posted guys on Amy's progress <laughs> oh, <no. laughs> and since I love quotes so much what's your favorite motivational quote Oh, I find this so hard. So it's one hard, that I yeah. use for myself is, and I'm not sure who even, it's just something I say to myself, but sometimes when it's quiet, surprising things happen. When we have that moment to go inward, that's when we can really see that magic and notice that the leaves are falling off the tree or whatever magic there is going on. And then I do cheekily have two oh, yes. that I used in the clinic. Yes. One of them is the classic, we repeat what we don't repair. That oh. is a very well-known one, but it's so it's just so succinct and so accurate. So good. And it's so true. I mean, I, there was another one I think I posted in the Facebook group the other day, which was, um, life will sometimes keep teaching you the same lesson until you learn it. Yes. Yeah. Same sentiment. And it, it's so the case. And then the other one is, be careful not to distort what you hear with what you fear. <gasps> that's such a CCA one. That's yes. amazing. Again, credit to the people. So when I tried to find out who actually came up with those quotes or who is known for them, three different people came up. Oh. So folks, you're going to have to do your research yeah. at home. Uh, see who <laughs> you want to Credit to miscellaneous. <laughs> <laughs> but again, very, very real Mm. oh well thank you so much this was fascinating I feel like I literally want to just keep talking for hours and hours and hours (laughs) because I think psychology is just so fascinating and so interesting Mm. the brain is just I mean we're only just starting to understand part you know one percent of what it does yes 
Um, and I think this will have really sparked a lot of reflection for a lot of people. So mm. thank you very much. Thank and fly you. home safe. Thanks for having me. I hope that I do. <laughs> <laughs> Wow, what a woman. I loved every minute of our time and can't thank Amy Kate enough for sharing both her professional wisdom and personal anecdotes to bring so much depth to this chat. I'd love you to show your support for her too, as always, by screenshotting while you listen and tagging at the Mindful Collective and myself. It means the world to see what you gain from each episode or if you have any suggestions on how we can keep bringing you your yay. If any of you are in need of support or help, please contact Lifeline on 131114. As you've heard, nobody is expected to go through tough times alone and the right help and support can make a world of difference. Hope you're all having a wonderful week and a seizing your yay.